There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on the 22nd of April 2010. I always suggest newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com websites where you can download hundreds of hours of talks I've given in the past few years and uh, listen to them at your own time and pace and analyze them for yourself. Uh, Check them up and check them against the evidence, check them against the articles I give you and the references I give you to see if you agree or disagree because you, the individual, must come to your own conclusion. Don't go with the herd. Uh, The herd always go in one direction and that's the one they're pointed to by those that rule them. You can also help to keep me going on this particular show by looking into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and uh, buying the books and discs I have for sale. That keeps this this hour per night ticking over just about almost. And uh, there's books, CDs, DVDs. You can pay your member from the States. Most of the customers are from the States. Everybody else is a bit stingy. So from the States, you can use a personal check. You can use an international postal order from your post office. Western Union, MoneyGram, or cash. You can also purchase through PayPal by using the donate button. Send a separate email with your donation from the PayPal, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. Remember, Western Union, uh, there's PayPal, cash, MoneyGram. It's up to you how you want to do it. And it's always a good idea to bookmark the sites I have there. The other sites you'll see on the front page at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website because sometimes so many people go into the comm site at the same time to downloads. It can be kind of hesitant or sticky, sticky downloads, and you can always get a faster download by using another site. These are all the authorized sites too. Anything else out there isn't authorized by me. It might be my stuff that's on it, but it's not authorized. I can only be um, responsible for my own doings, put it that way. And for those who get the discs burned and passed to them, you can get in touch with me at writing to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is very important. I had someone who sent me something, a parcel, back in January, I think it was, and they held it for three months. She just got it back in the States because one letter was wrong in the postal code. So they're awfully sticky about that. Um, so there's P for Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, and the, the number 1, P3E4N1. And that should hopefully ensure anything sent to me gets to me. I don't have too much trouble with the post office, though. So far, it's not bad at all, although they're cutting back drastically in the U.S. Apparently, they're closing a lot of post offices down. Now... Generally, I, I try not to go into the, the main topics of the day because, to be honest with you, uh, they're, they're called news holes uh, and they, they set trends. And that's what they call them in the media business, news holes. Everything that you read uh, in the media 
is part of a trend. You'll see the same stories if you do a search on these stories from one newspaper to the next paper because um, it's a trend that's been set to fill a news hole. A news hole is a space left between advertising. And whatever's made popular is because they all copy each other and mainly because they're all getting their news from their main two sources, routers and the AP, I think it's API, the news they call it. So they set the trends of what we yap about on the street level. Uh, that way you can control public opinion, you can guide public opinion, ensure everyone's talking about the same things at the same time. Excuse the voice, by the way, there's a lot of spraying here, and it really, really dries you up. This aluminum oxide from the air dries you up badly. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about how the voice comes and goes because your nose gets plugged up in the mornings and again sometimes runs your eyes, gets dry. That's the spring in the skies and they haven't let up in Canada and the States and even in parts of Ireland too. But you'll find in Europe, because so many of the aircraft now are grounded because of all the supposed volcanic ash in the air that gets into the jet engines of the aircraft, uh, they're having great weather. It's just I mean, I've had letters from Sweden and parts of England uh, saying how blue the sky is. And really, if when you haven't seen blue sky for about 12 years, really blue sky, um, and some people for the first time that have grown up, uh, they're growing up now, uh, they've never really seen deep blue skies. It's just an incredible phenomena. But I've, they, they put a spin out in the media already to tell you why the skies are so blue. Uh, they haven't, they're not going to tell you they've been spraying the sky since 98 steadily, 1998. And this is from Yahoo News and Associated Press. It was Wednesday, that's yesterday. It says, uh, as volcanic cash cast a shadow over millions of lives, Londoners and other city dwellers across Europe were treated to a rare spectacle of nature, pristine blue skies brighter than any in recent memory. The remarkable sight happened in part because massed flight groundings prevented busy airspace from being crisscrossed with plumes of jet exhaust that create a semi-permanent haze and other effects beyond the white contrails themselves. Just as city lights make it necessary for us to go to the desert to appreciate the true glitter of stars, so has modern aviation dulled us to what the the noontime sky really looks like until the erupting volcano in Iceland offered a reminder. So that's the spin they've put on already, as though there were no aircraft in the skies before 1998, because, because the skies were blue then, actually blue, you know, a real deep blue as well. And since really since the year 2000, and even before that, there have been less and less airlines on the, in the air at the same time because of uh, the cost of aviation fuel. Uh, different companies have merged together or closed down altogether. The flights themselves are crammed to capacity, full capacity now. So there's actually a lot fewer flights than there used to be. So that's their spin on it anyway. They're telling you that you're seeing blue skies because the traffic are grounded. However, there's other articles too that tells you that the Air Force are also grounded. And I think that's closer to the truth. However, as I say, the further west they go, parts of Ireland, they're already getting the spray there. And they've kept it up in Canada. It's astonishing to watch it. I've watched it for years. Uh, I can remember the first day it started in earnest in, in Ontario 
where it was literally, there were half the height that they normally are at now, and they had the, the sky literally checkerboard from north, south, east, west. It was a checkerboard, uh, very precise looking too. It was like walking into a sci-fi movie uh, when you walked out your door. And these trails they were using then uh, were just the, the white tripe uh, and they left plumes from horizon to horizon that stayed there for the whole day. The whole day, suddenly. And it was astonishing to me too that when you, you ask people to, to, for their impression or, on these trails, uh, how stunned they look and yet at the same time you could see them go into that, well, where, the media hasn't told me anything about this so I don't have an opinion on it. That's kind of what they try to tell you if they could possibly think. That's what they would come up with. And that's probably the truth as well. Most folk really can't think unless the media tells them what to think about something. I've mentioned before about how major marketing studies uh, proved many years ago that about 80, 83%, I think, of the general public, uh, when they're asked to, to pass an opinion on events in, in their daily lives or in the media, uh, and come to some conclusion, they could only pass a superficial conclusion. Generally, they'd actually heard from the same media. They had no real opinions of their own. And that's probably pretty consistent down through uh, time, I think. That's the majority of the general public. But there you go. There's your spin on it right away. It's because the aircraft, uh, the, the, the passenger aircraft are not flying that this is happening. Now, Prior to 98, as I said, there were far more jets on the go. The fuel was cheaper. And uh, I lived in Europe, too, and I saw uh, them travel through the sky. And the trails always left or always dissipated about a hand span. If you put your hand up to them, to the tail of the craft as it was flying overhead, uh, that's where the end of the trail would start to disappear. They did not last for hours and all day like they do today. But, however, that's neither here nor there. That's just how it really, really is. We're, we're, we're living in magic land because, believe you me, they cannot tell the public what they're doing. They already know the effects of geoengineering. They don't have to have meetings to, to decide them. They've had years of studying us, and they know the effects of geoengineering. They know all the lung problems, nasal problems, congestion, uh, constant infections, uh, chronic infections, and they also know, I'm sure, what the death rate is with the very young and the elderly. Never mind the, this incredible new phenomenon that suddenly everyone's got allergies and suddenly again you have uh, older people, middle-aged people getting asthma for the first time. That never happened in previous decades. You see, it didn't happen. Unknown. <laughs> So it's a new normal, but we're supposed to adapt it to new normals all the time uh, without questioning it. And most folk, mind you, don't bother to question it at all. Now, I've read so many times different articles on politicians and how they're trained, and they do get trained by professionals because we're sold a, a fake persona by politicians. We don't know the real people. We'll never know the real people. Never ever know them unless you've known them prior to that personally. But you'll never know them otherwise. What you get is, is blurbs in the newspapers, uh, media ops, which are all completely staged and rehearsed, uh, with words written by scriptwriters. Uh, and they're, they've got their dress up people there and their makeup people and all that kind of stuff, just like anybody going into the movies or, or on the news. And, uh, 
you'll never really know what they're like. Then you get the, the, the magazines come out too, and they tell you how, how wonderful the, this person's a family man. A family man. So there's a picture of him and a family and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just uh, nauseating, really, because we never know the real people. In fact, it's not until long after they leave politics do you begin to find out their background and their connections, uh, their family histories, involvements in politics and all of that kind of stuff. Well, they're, they're, they're running and once they're in, no, you'll never really know who they are except what the media projects to you. Now, here's an article here that shows you really uh, and I don't disagree with them. Uh, I know why they do this. But it shows you what they're, they're taught and how they're taught to talk to the public. Just a little bit on it. And it's from the Mail Online. And this is from the 22nd of April. And it says, talk to the public like they're 10-year-olds. That's the advice the TV presenter, professional TV presenter, gave Nick Clegg, one of the politicians that's running over there. Says Nick Clegg has been secretly groomed for months for his TV debates by a presenter who tells clients to talk to viewers as if they are 10-year-olds. The Liberal Democrat leader has been rehearsing for the leader's debate since November and deployed the services of Scott Chisholm, a former Sky TV anchorman. Mr. Chisholm, who initially denied his involvement with Mr. Clegg, has a top tip for clients ahead of TV appearances – Pitch it, pitch your spiel at a a 10-year-old. That's what they're told to do. Listen to this now. It's true. This is true. This is how far we've sunk with the TV generation. If you use words that viewers have to process in order to understand, then they'll miss the next three to six words you say. Okay? So in other words, if you use a a kind of semi-big word uh, that stops them, they're trying to think, what does that mean? They're they're not listening to to the the words that follow. So don't use big words. Make it keep it simple for a 10-year-old. And he also advises clients, if you're asked a question you know nothing about, do not feel as if you must answer it. And another thing they're taught too, doesn't mention it in this article here, but uh, when they get asked a, a question that's a kind of cutting-edge question, they could put them on the spot for a personal opinion, uh, or it puts them or their party in a bad light. Uh, they're told to um, not answer the question as it was asked, but as you would have liked it to have been asked. In other words, you reframe the question in your head, and then you... That's why you, they never give a direct answer to any question that's kind of sticky. We've all experienced that, too, listening to politicians over the years. But there you go. This is what you get now. You get them talking down to us as they were 10-year-olds, and no one really notices. No one minds. We're used to it. We're actually used to it, you know. And um, when you get a president, like the last one, too, saying they went after Saddam Hussein and got rid of him, not because he was involved in 9-11. He said, no, I never said he was. He says, we just went after him because he was a bad man and the world's better off without him. So people are broken down into bad men, bad, you know, bad guys. That's how they talk to us, to explain wars. Yeah, it was a bad guy, yeah. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. And that's how simplistic it is, isn't it? That's how simplistic it is to run the people when they're dumbed down to TV lingo or language. Quite something. White hats and bad hats, black cats, and then that's all, it's bad guys. 
And it's good enough, what they tell us is good enough for the public. There's no howl about, what on earth is he saying? Why is he saying that this is like a cartoon? That's what the people are actually used to. Now, again, you get this trivia, as they call it, news holes as they put stuff in. A lot of it, too, is, is, is creating uh, the trends. The trends is, is the ripples of conversation that go through all media and the Internet. People prattle on about it as expected, that they're expected to do so. And those who control the media control the trends and what you're going to be prattling on about. And people have no memory. They have no memory, so you can actually reintroduce the same topic a year later and they'll prattle on about it just as they did when they were first, they first heard it and they can't remember when they first heard it. I'm going to give you an example when I come back from this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just uh, talking about how news is recycled to us through news holes where they set trends for gossip, where we just prattle about things and say, oh my God, look what they're doing to us now. And everyone you meet, can, when you bring up the topic, they'll say the same thing. Oh my God, yeah, how could they? And, and, and we all say the same things. And uh, We don't realize often a trend is being set, just getting you ready for something, you see. Because when we, when we moan about things, it's like getting something off your chest. And eventually you come to the inevitability where we're going to get this anyway. But at least you moaned about it. You feel better because you did some moaning to other people. And that's really how it works. So they're called trial balloons when they first give it out to the public. Because the public have no memory. And they don't realize the particular thing they're moaning about that they now believe is inevitable was was programmed into them through previous articles over maybe one, two, or even three years or more through trial balloons, you see? The first trial balloon that goes up mentions that some people have been thinking about doing this or a new tax or something, and, and it's, it's, it's always somebody minor, so there's no, there's no danger of it becoming law or anything. So you dismiss it, but you've, you've, you've been, you've taken it into your head by osmosis. That's how we learn as humans when we're being indoctrinated gradually as test rats. Uh, we, through osmosis, through these trial balloons, and you're being programmed, but you don't remember the trial balloon, and then you hear it again, it's kind of more familiar to you, and then once they're ready to actually push it through. They mentioned it's mentioned, it's going to be mentioned by the big boys themselves and brought up in the Senate or the Parliament or whatever. That's how the technique always works. Everything is a technique that's used on the, the public and, and it's scientific rulership really that you're under. The politicians don't dream it up. They, they have their experts guiding them on how to do it. But everybody's going on about the value-added tax as though it's a new idea. Now, they don't remember that it was the same thing that was pushed a whole a year ago, just almost exactly a year ago. Uh, this article here is from the Washington Post, and there's May the 27th. Uh, Once considered unthinkable, U.S. sales tax gets a fresh look, you see, by Laurie Montgomery. It says, with budget deficits soaring and President Obama pushing a trillion-dollar-plus expansion of health coverage, some Washington policymakers are taking a fresh look at money-making ideas, long considered politically taboo, a national sales tax. That was 27th of May 2009, you see. 
And then you get uh, the papers today, today's papers. And uh, here it is again. And it's, it's on Google as well, this particular site. Uh, Obama aids neither back nor bury the value-added tax. Obama administration officials on Thursday further clouded the question of whether the president would consider a new value-added tax similar to those levied by some European countries. President Barack Obama sounded somewhat open to the idea when it came up in an interview. I know there's been a lot of talk around lately about the value-added tax, he told CNBC on Wednesday. That's something that has worked for some countries. Before, you know, I start saying this makes sense or that makes sense, I want to get a better picture of what our options are, Obama said. So that's how they ready you, bit by bit, sometimes month after month, but definitely year after year uh, for the value-added tax. Now, if you go into the Council on Foreign Relations, the guys that really run the country, uh, you'll find in their own website that they've been talking about bringing the value-added tax in for the Americas, not just uh, um, for the U.S., but for the Americas. They've been talking on it, and with, they've had think tanks working on the project for years. It's in their own websites. It's not an idea the government. The government really is run by the CFR. And so is Canada. Remember what Carol Quigley said is every president... Um, has been a member of the CFR, uh, he said, for the last 60 years, and he wrote his book in the 1960s. He said, we are, it's, it doesn't matter what party gets in, the top person is always a member. Always a member. It's the same in Canada, too. So, as I say, it's just old stuff as far as I'm concerned. Same thing again, the, the parent one in Britain of the CFR is called the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And from their own website at Chatham House, it's called Chatham House Publications. Again, they've got think tanks working on every aspect of society, including the coming food shortages. And they hand out all their diagnoses to every single country as to what to do about every possible problem this private organization, unelected organization, that has millions or billions to play with of dollars. They, they talk about the, the end of the dollar. And this is a, an article, I think it was from last year, they say the end of the dollar is the key reserve currency is still far away, but the steps some countries are taking signal changes ahead. The trend towards a multi-currency reserve system with the backstop of a supranational reserve currency, but we're not there yet and any change to the current arrangement is likely to take a long time. In the meantime, it's critical to ensure the sustainability of the present system. The transition needs to be managed through dialogue and policy cooperation. Policy cooperation in particular should help prepare the ground for a smooth transition by encouraging countries to exchange information about current and future policy decisions. Well, that's what I read about earlier on this week when I mentioned that the IMF uh, wants the power to come into every country and control, literally control, your national budgets. And it's all in here too, written a year ago, and it's happening now. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, just showing you how uh, really we're so predictable. We're so incredibly predictable. It's, it's, it isn't until you get into marketing and, and the writings of marketers that you understand how predictable we are. They've done so many studies and polls and tests on the, puddle, the public uh, through controlled groups and so on that they know exactly what makes us tick if you call think, if we call us thinking, I don't know if we really think or not anymore. I think we're more programmed than thinkers. And most people go through their entire lives never realizing that what they're wearing is what they've been told they should wear, what the fashion is for that time. Um, even when you pick a group as a teenager to belong to, you get the baggy pants or you get some other outfit or you get spiky hair. You don't realize that, no, you've got five things to choose from. They're all authorized from the top. That's really how it is. And even with those five uh, kind of rebellious things to wear for a teenager, they give you maybe three, four types of music to pick from or variations of music. It's all laid out for you, your, for your personality to fit into. And once you fall into the trap, you really stunt your personality growth. You truly will. Because it's, you, you cannot grow when you belong to a, a pre-designed group that gets fed their own information via the internet or magazines for that group. Uh, you, all you do is chatter. You chatter amongst each other. Uh, and you chatter from the sources that are put out to, to you or for you to chatter about. And, and that's how you do it. And it's no different for the adults. The adults go through their different uh, phases and then they become rigidly uh, a political. I'm left-wing, I'm right-wing, whatever that happens to be the name of the party. And uh, they read the articles and newspapers that appeal to them uh, about that kind of party that they've already decided they want to belong to. We're all very, very predictable. And then I've gone into as well the scientific uh, uh, acquisition of all your data under the guise of terrorism. It's such a farce, especially when people like Brzezinski were talking about this back in the 70s, the creation of the predictable society. You can't be predictable and control a society unless you have all the data but on every single person. Not just data of what they did 10 years ago, but you want up-to-date data, constant daily data about what they're doing. One day, truly, and I, I kid you not, you'll have a SWAT team coming into your home if you break your routine. I'm not kidding about that. I really am not kidding about that. Because they're so anxious and terrified at the top of someone, that again, the solitary individual that breaks out of the loop and says, Aha, Eureka, I think. Uh, that terrifies them. They don't want thinkers. They, they want people being subdued, blowing to different groups, very predictable, uh, chatting to this group on a Monday, this group on a Tuesday, uh, spreading all their data across the Internet daily on Facebook and stuff. Uh, but one day, if you break that pattern, they want to know if you're either in the hospital or, or what on earth you're doing. Are you being subvertive? Why aren't you putting the data? We have noticed you haven't put any data up on, on Facebook in the last two or three days. What's going on? And you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about it at all. You know, the movie Brazil, the com it's a comedy but it's a reality, it's a prediction of the future, which is now here. Done in comedy. 
uh, was was kind of laughed at at the time by people who chew their their, their popcorn and uh, blow the bubble gum and uh, pass on to the next part of entertainment. But it, everything that it had in that movie is happening now. Everything that was laughed at at that time is now happening today in reality. People are being mistakenly killed by authorities because of screw-ups. SWAT teams do go into the wrong homes and kill the wrong people. Never mind what they're doing going out to kill people in the first place for, but the fact is they do it. And one day, as I say, if you're not predictable, you'll be called in. I'm sure they are already using all the data in schools now that they're going into all the students' laptops and have been for years and watching them at home and listening to their conversations and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm sure they'll be getting pulled aside to get advice from their, from their various counselors of, of what they're doing in their spare time. We've noticed this, you know, you, you aren't sociable enough. Uh, uh, you don't agree with the rest. See, in this system, you've got to agree with everyone else. The groupthink mentality that's approved. But people will never learn because, again, the vast majority, well over 80% of the public, go along with whatever is given to them because they can't really make a personal decision for themselves anyway. And I've often said this, it's not the elite that's just the problem, and it's not, it's not, it's the masses as well. If you want to belong to the masses, uh, then you're in trouble. Because the masses have a symbiosis with the elite, the rulers, and the ruled. They're this strange relationship. Because the masses like the kind of social society where they don't have to think much, that everything's, they're told what to do. Arnold Schwarzenegger said that himself. He says, I believe people need to be told what to do. And I'll tell them. That's what he said. He's a good Nazi, you see. But it is true, too, that a lot of people, a lot of people really want the system that's becoming more and more pervasive into their private lives. They want it. They're willing to give up and sacrifice all their personal freedoms, ought to have health care, even when they don't need it, as long as they know it's there. It's like Woody Allen, he says, well, why do I live in New York? He says, well, if I want, well, if I want a pizza at three in the morning, I can get it. If I want it. And that's what people are willing to do, give up all their freedoms because of the social security nets that they think might be there if they need them. In other words, fear keeps them there. Fear. That's why you'll never ever get a movement that's willing to chance some completely different way of living. Because your biggest opposition would be the public themselves. Not just the public, since most of the public today live in cities which are completely artificial constructs where you must live in an artificial system to survive using nothing but money. You, even to get entertained, you've got to have money. Everyone's money. As opposed to the country, you can go for a walk somewhere. They actually, they're, they're terrified of any other way of living. They want all their goodies. As long as they they got enough money to buy the latest electronic gadgets so they can talk into the ether wherever they happen to be and have the latest movies coming out, constant entertainment, they'll go the whole way as supposed they're giving all the rest of their money to the government to dispense back on them through rationing or whatever. 
They'll go the whole way. They would, uh, they'd collapse at the thought of having to risk helping each other through a real bad crisis time for maybe a few years till they bring in a new system with no corrupt banks and, and a, a, a decent way of looking after each other, a more humane system. They'd never go for it. So they have a, you've got a symbiosis between uh, the followers and the rulers. It's the ones in between that really get the bad deal because they know what's happening. They, they know what's going on. They're thinkers. They don't want to rule over other people, but they don't want to be ruled over by tyrants either. And since democracy, this term democracy is used, well, the majority accept all these laws. What's your problem, sir? That's what you're told. That's what you're told. So when people start to wake up, they first panic. They panic thinking, we must do this, we must do that. They don't realize, no, there is no such thing as we. The bulk of the populace out there really don't want change. They'll grumble and they'll moan, but they'll give up nothing, nothing at all, and chance nothing at all for what you think you think of as independence, even personal independence. When you're personally independent, you've got to take chances and risks. They don't want that. And that's what the elite know themselves. Only the individual can free themselves, and you've got to free your mind before you can do anything else. And sometimes that's the only conquest you'll get in an Orwellian world, is the freedom of your mind. And even then, you'll be attacked for having it. Now, Zygmunt Brzezinski talked about this too, some, some of it, kind of briefly, for the people, in a publication between two ages, he talks about the scientific elite, basically, and uh, he puts even weather warfare in that book, how it be used, and how, how we could also control the mind by stroking through stroking the mind, basically, uh, through electronic stimulation on continental scales, which would keep the public quiet and happy. Written in the 1970s, and page 252, this is what he says. Another threat, less overt but no less basic, confronts liberal democracy, more directly linked to the impact of technology. It involves a gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. Is this sounding familiar? The gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on allegedly superior scientific know-how. Have you seen the panel that's behind Obama? Have you seen the panels behind the, the front men in Britain? All the scientific groups, population trust groups, all that kind of stuff. Claiming that they're there because they're, they're needed now, because of their scientific know-how. Unhindered, unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal uh, values, this elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. Is that sounding familiar? Huh? Starting with Bush? <laughs> I wonder how many people will even remember this. 
under such circumstances, as I say, the scientific technology momentum of the country would not be reversed, but would actually feed on the situation it exploits. The emergence of a large dominant party alongside the more narrowly focused and more intensely doctrinaire groupings on the right and the left could accelerate the trend towards such technological managerialism. Technological managerialism. Ruled by experts. Such a large uh, dominant party would combine American society's quest for stability with its historical affinity for innovation. Relying on scientific growth to produce the means for dealing with social ills, it would tap the nation's intellectual talent for broad target planning and exploit the existence of doctrinaire groups by using them as social barometers and as sources of novel ideas. All the different think tanks, you see? Hmm? All the different think tanks now, this public-private sort of deal that runs the governments across the Western world. He didn't come out with this stuff because he was just letting his mind wander. He sat at all the world meetings in his day in the 70s. That's where this stuff comes from, and we're living through it now. And the vast majority of the public are completely unaware All they're doing is moaning and groaning at the announcements made to them that they're going to have to fit into. Do you understand that? I've been telling people for years, this is a planned society. We were born into a planned society where everything that happens 40 years from now was debated 20 years ago. Everything that's happening now was debated 60 years ago. Not just debated, but all the problems to make it work into place were going, went through with a, a, a fine-tooth comb by those in academia. Including all oppositions, how they would tackle them, how they get round them before they make the first move on the chessboard. We're already in the scientific uh, system, dictatorship as Huxley called it. We're well into it, and, and the vast majority are completely unaware. They still go down to personalities. They, they, they throw rotten tomatoes at personalities. They still think that these guys are real. And I said at the beginning of this show, you sold a fiction, a fictional persona made up by marketers. Their job is to get hit with the rotten tomatoes. And the guys behind them, the real scientists, run the show. So anyway, that's, um, that was Brzezinski. He also talked about bringing forth a president with a, and creating a great persona for him. A, a, the personality cult, he called it, would help to speed up this process. And does that ring a bell to anybody out there? I wonder. I wonder. That's why you can't go off half-cocked on anything. And you can't react to the media uh, the way they expect you to, the, to react. They expect you to howl at the air when you hear stuff you don't like or the taxes are going up or value-added taxes are coming down and all the rest of it. They expect all of that. They're giving you this. They could just as easily have kept it quiet for a longer period. Everything is timed on cue via the news holes and the creation of media trends. And the trend becomes what we prattle about through society. The computer generation call it, calls it going viral. A topic goes viral. Well, 
who start who created the virus in the first place? No one stops to question it. And why now? Our thoughts are already controlled, you see. Now, in the same book, Between Two Ages, Brzezinski goes on about uh, the creation of mandatory uh, service to social causes. Now, he's, now, here he is talking about a scientifically controlled society, uh, the bringing in of presidents through a personality cult, and running the scientists behind them in a scientific fashion. Uh, that's how society would be run. And he also goes on about so then they bring in mandatory service to social causes. Does that, does that also ring a bell to what's happening now too? Is it, remember, this was written back in the 1970s. These guys don't sit with crystal balls. As I say, these guys sit at world meetings with experts in every field, with all the data at their fingertips, discussing their plans of the world they're bringing in in the future. Not maybe bringing in, or they'd like to bring in, but they they will bring in in the future. That's how the world is truly, truly run. He says here on page 267, a good case can be made for ending initial education, more of which we obtained in the home through electronic devices somewhere around the age of 18. He's talking about the internet. doesn't use the word internet, but what do you think he's talking about, electronic devices? This formal initial period could be followed by two years of service in a sociable, sociably desirable cause, then by direct involvement in some professional activity and by advanced systematic training within that area, and finally by regular periods of one and eventually even two years of broadening integrative study at the beginning of every decade of one's life, somewhere up to the age of 60. That's in the papers this week again, folks, and he wrote this in the in the 70s. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Just giving you little examples out of thousands that I could give you to show you that the world is just run by a scientific elite, really, and how uh, they don't change things too quickly. They, they can be re- the, the hair doesn't like being pushed into a new pasture too fast. You're kind of used to the pasture you're in. That's how human beings are. And we resist change. Therefore, they, they give you up gradually. They prepare you for the changes and then push you into it. And we go along. And as long as we all go along at the same time, it's okay. We, we take it for granted that it's all right. But these, everything that's happening today was planned many, many, many moons ago. Many moons ago. Karl Marx talked about United Europe in the 1800s. He talked about a world government and over these regional trading blocks. The EU uh, was really pushed to full momentum after World War II. And they lied to everyone involved. All the publics of every country were lied to by their prime ministers and presidents as they signed agreements every year deepening the integration until they end up with a super parliament. And they tried this and tried this with the American Union, Canada, the States, Mexico. They signed their last deal supposedly this year, the fifth one I think it is, for total integration. 
I wonder how we'll get all the rest across to the general public. Are we ready for it yet? Have they really prepared us enough for total integration? They use the war on terror to bring us closer together, integrate the security services. The FBI, CSIS, the RCMP are all integrated on the same computer systems. They talked about, uh, now the, the crash has happened and the CFR said openly the crash might help further and speed up this increased uh, integration of them and consolidation of the Americas. We've lived through the free trade negotiations then followed by the NAFTA deals for this whole thing. They even talked about where the parliament would get built for the Americas. But the average person passes no judgment again. Was it 83% will pass no judgment on anything they're told? Just, uh-huh, mm-hmm. That's how it is. Back to uh, Brzezinski, who obviously was better than Nostradamus, uh, mainly because he had a, a leg in on all the particular meetings, the world meetings that were planning our future. Uh, not not uh, hoping for it, but actually planning for it, knowing that they would bring it in. And this is page 253 of Between Two Ages, Says relying on scientific growth to produce the means for dealing with social ills, it would tap the nation's intellectual talent for broad target planning and exploit the existence of doctrinaire groups. That's what I read already here. Doctrinaire groups by using them as social barometers and as sources of novel ideas. That's your NGOs and your also your those in academia that have a big part now in government has have they have since World War Two. And your foundations, you see. So that's discussed all that time ago. The scientific dictatorship, as they said it. But once again, mandatory service to social causes, and the social causes would even have to be national, it could be international, and again, paid by the public bodies, meaning the tax purse would pay for it all. He actually says on page 2867 in the footnotes, this cause could be either national or international, publicly or privately tackled. Be in keeping with the humanitarian idealism of the young not to limit such service to national causes. It would also be acceptable to substitute it for, for your national military service. That's all in the works now, folks. From Hamish Massel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.